Good afternoon, everyone. God bless you. Uh, I was kind of holding out here. I don't know how long it's going to take for some to read the sign and get over here. Is anybody greatly distressed if I run over a couple of minutes toward the end, or do you have to get to the next thing? I'm good. Hey, if you leave, just leave and wave on the way out to make sure that you're not upset with me. <laughs> I'll blow this. I'll, I'll blow this first. Um, I always do this before I share anyway, but I don't want to overdo it today. But uh, a lot of people have expressed the desire to hear it, and, maybe, and a couple people weren't there this morning. Carol, are you here? Is Carol here? What happened to her? No, Carol. Carol. Um, Dave's Carol. Uh, I have a mental block. I was told never to say senior moment, but it's an intellectual overload. (laughs) I've told that one before. Um, uh, Carol. Carol from Norton. Dave and Carol uh, Kapusinski. She here? She was... She, I, I walked over with her. She was uh, on the way over, and I don't know what happened. Because she was bemoaning the fact that she wasn't going to be there for this morning. But that's not for, this is not for people. This is for an anointing, for a covering. Father, we do pray that this is going to honor you. This is not for my books. It's your message, and we pray, Father, that you would Speak to your people here, and Lord, touch your servant, that I can say the right things in the right amount of time. And Father, we declare your sovereign authority over this meeting this afternoon, and over the message that goes out, in the name of Yeshua, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. I just want to make a couple of quick acknowledgments. One, there's a book, uh, there's a signature list on the book table. Many of you are getting my bulletins. I call them meal bulletins, Middle East awareness list, Middle East awareness list, meal, meal bulletins that... Um, come out whenever I get a chance to write them, which is not going to be much this summer. But when something comes up, I like to take an event in the Middle East that maybe you know about, maybe you don't know about, tell people about it, and then add a corresponding backup from Scripture. 
like the one I wrote about some months ago. What did the what does the Bible say about Colonel Gaddafi? What is what does Jesus say about Colonel Gaddafi and Bashar Assad, who's in the middle of controversy in Syria right now? Of course, it doesn't say anything about those names, but it sure says plenty about what's going on because Jesus told the parable. Sorry, Carol. <laughs> Jesus told the parable of the man who an unclean spirit goes out of a man, or maybe it's a country, and it goes tooling around in dry places and said, I'll go back to where I came and take seven more evil spirits than the one that left him. And that's exactly what's happening in the Middle East today with the overthrow of Gaddafi. As bad as he was. He's no friend of mine particularly. Mubarak in Egypt. Now Bashar Assad. And those uh, Saddam Hussein, those dictators who are brutal, brutal evil men But the evil that's moving in is far worse than they, which is the Muslim Brotherhood that will put a sack over the head of you sisters with a little slit for the eyes. And uh, this is what the Muslim Brotherhood and the desire for world domination by the Muslims, along with the New World Order by the West, Interesting days are coming. I didn't mean to get into all of that, but uh, this is what the bulletins are all about, adding something to what's going on over there because this is certainly the center of the universe today. Jerusalem, the city where it's not a Jewish city. It's the city where he has chosen to put his name, cited 12 times in Deuteronomy and many other places in the Psalms or elsewhere. Anyway, that's the sign-up list. The books are there, but this is not for selling books, though what I have here is an overview of the new book that is out there, but it's not for selling books. Whatever we sell anyway goes into a fund that will be used for if Elsie and I uh, are no longer around, it's our board has been guided to send it into ministry for Israel uh, in a, whatever designated place they would have by that time. But both books and our operation funds will eventually go to what we are doing now to awaken people to what's happening. In our world, and this is particularly the body of believers. This fellowship sent Elsie and I out over 50 years ago to Papua New Guinea. Today, there's about 17, 15,000 believers alive from our work alone, from his work through the pen that translated the typewriter. No computers in those days. Elsie typed everything in the New Testament by typewriter, correction fluid, and so forth. But 15,000 believers today, perhaps twice that many, have gone on to be with the Lord. Plus our Catholic neighbors who have turned a corner with the movement of the Holy Spirit in the 60s and 70s. A number of them came into a real close relationship with the Lord. We've seen it personally. They were transformed and 
also the United Church on the other side, which in this country may have people of various sexual persuasions in their pulpits. Over in Papua New Guinea, it's not so. They're using our scriptures, and they are coming off on the same wavelength of morality that we have taught. So there's a lot of disciples over there, and we're very grateful for the scriptures that are are being used. Anyway, enough of that. That's this is not what that's about, and we're we're very thankful for uh, what the Lord has done. Oh, but as I started to say. You send us over there, and I come back. They have New Guinea on my little card here, but really we're from Australia. And I come back to my brothers and sisters in this country to let you know what's going on. And hopefully, I I probably won't be able to tell you. There's a lot of things I don't know with this afternoon, but we're going to tell you what we do know. Uh, There are better days than 2012. And 2013 and 2014, perhaps, better days are coming. Let's uh, get on with uh, the. Let's get on with the message. Uh, genetically modified prophecies. I'm always a little bit naughty with my titles because you'll never know what it's about unless you get a little bit more information. The more information is whatever happened to all the sand and stars God promised to Abraham. An overview, as I said, this is not for selling books. It is a message in itself. And I guess really some of the seeds of this, I I had a little bit of this in my previous book, Parody of the Present, uh, but uh, a little bit. But this is much further developed uh, of of what uh, we learned in Papua New Guinea about Hebraic cultural tracks, not laboratory work, but Hebraic cultural tracks among the people, not only in Papua New Guinea, but New Zealand as well as New Guinea. A lot of people get the two places confused. They're very different. New Zealand was settled by the Brits down on the the, um, southeast corner of Australia, way down there. And uh, a lot of people overseas don't know the difference, but New Zealand's way down there. They had the Maoris, the, uh, the Vanuatu, which is the new name for, new name for uh, the New Hebrides. But anyway, we found things there. It's in the book, and if you are more interested, you can read it from there. But anyway, here he is. Promises to Abraham, but let's read. This is when he came down off the mountain after Mount Moriah, which is the Temple Mount today. Same place. God told him to go up to Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son. And that really wasn't in God's plan, but he wanted to test him to see what he would do. And here's the scripture for it, which I will read in chapter 22 of Genesis uh, verse 15, the angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord that because you have done this and have not withheld your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the sand in the sky 
as stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. There's about 12 references to this in, in uh, Genesis, plus others in the other f- first five books and some in the Psalms. As numerous as the stars in the sky, the sands on the seashore, your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. How many of you know know that obedience is pretty important? A lot of the other good works we do are very valuable, but obedience to the Almighty and what he tells us to do. And sometimes it's personally what he, as we build a closer and closer relationship with him, obedience comes fairly high. When the Almighty tells us to do something, I like to call him Abba. Because you have obe- obeyed me, is the ending of this. Then Abraham returned uh, to his servants and they all set off together for Beersheba. This was the, the account of coming down off the mountain, sand, stars of the sky, and sands of the sea. And if you take all of the Jews, for instance, together, only about 14 million living today, and that's pittance compared to the Milky Way. And the Milky Way is pittance to all the other galaxies that we can see. And the promise, a promise is a promise. Now, I don't know that God is going to, the Almighty is going to exactly count everyone. No, this is symbolic that it's beyond our counting, and especially the sands of the seashore. So we're going to look at three texts from the old, from the old, I don't like to call it that. It's not the Old Testament. It's the foundational testament because everything that is in our New Testament has Hidden away, and we know a, a messianic believer. He, he's Jew, he was Jewish. He's a messianic believer. He works for the Galilee Experience in, in Tiberias, and he says, "I don't need the New Testament to lead my people to a relationship with Jesus, with the Messiah." He says it's all in the book that they think they know pretty well. And this is significant. Of course, we appreciate that. But three discoveries from the original Hebrew text. There's many, many more, but these are three that are in the book that I just want to give you a sample of what we can find because it's bigger. It's bigger than we ever, ever knew of what our Father is doing. And perfect love casts out fear. I think the more we know him, the more we can rest in what he's doing. And I mentioned in the Bible, our Bible class this morning, that that, uh, the closer we we get to him... uh, Passing the thing, the, the atonement, let me, let me back up. The atonement, of course, is ultra important. That's everything that, that our faith is based on. But Hebrew says, leaving those things that you started, started with, and we are all getting a little bit older, we should be gaining in intimacy with the Father, with Abba. And in that, we become a part, 
part and parcel of what he is doing on his earth and not looking at ourselves and did I do it right, did I do it wrong, but rather intimacy with the Father. Anyway, we're going to look at the Hebrew text. It's bigger than we might have comprehended. And here's Jeremiah 16, 14, 15. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when men will no longer say as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt. But... They will say, as surely as the Lord lived, who brought the Israelites up out of the land of the north. And out of all the countries where he had banished them, for I will restore them to the land I gave to their forefathers. Where's north? Ask the knee-jerk prophets in America, and they'll say, well, of course it's Russia. It might include Russia a little bit. Or it might include Nineveh, which is where the lost tribes went, which is directly north of Israel. Directly north of Samaria, where they were banished from. Or it might include Babylon, where Judea was banished from. That's kind of north and east of Israel. But this bothered me as a translator. No, this, not this. Uh, The next one, uh, where is the land? Where is the north? Anyway, next slide. Remember this. We used to sing this back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, right straight out of King James. Great. Uh, I'd sing it now, except I don't want any of you to leave. <laughs> Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion. So far, so good. On the sides of the north. What's that mean? The city of the great king. We were taught as Bible translators, you have the archives, you have the information, you have the study books, you have all the resources to translate and go into what's in the background. So don't leave your readers hanging. Make it say something as accurate as you can. But on the sides of the north adds nothing to this beautiful little psalm and the song that we used to... Remember when we... How many of you ever sang that? Everybody. Okay. On the sides of the north. Now I heard somebody trying to explain that as David's city, which is on the south. Strike one. But anyway, it doesn't work. And that has bothered me for 30 years. Because that leaves the readers hanging. And so I go... I see... I saw from... From It's a comparison from a note, a footnote in my Bible, a footnote that says it's the word north or maybe a sacred mountain. Maybe a sacred mountain. The word for north in Hebrew is Zathon, T-Z-A, Canadians will understand me. If you don't understand what I just said, just ask one of our Canadian brethren. T-Z-A-P-H-O-N. Zaphon. The word, that's a word for north in Hebrew. Now, so I went on a search. I thought, this has got to be a comparison with something. Let's, next slide. Is there such a thing as Mount Zaphon in the land of the Bible? And I'm searching the concordance for north village or something. It says either north or a sacred mountain. Is there a sacred mountain? And I found Zaphon Village, T 
TZ on the Golan Heights. Now, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, the Golan Heights, that's Israel. It rises up not very far over to Syria. And the United Nations is a camp up there. And it's, it's a little bit higher than the lake, of course, Lake Galilee or Lake Kinneret. But it's no mountain and it's not sacred. So I keep looking and I found a Zaphon village in the Jordan Valley. Joshua conquered it. It's in the book of Judges, I think. No, it's in the book of Joshua. Zaphon North Village. That's lower yet. And, uh, and it's not sacred. So guess what? I found it in less than sanctified Wikipedia. Can you imagine? Mount Zaphon. Ooh, it's spelled with an S. Not a T-Z, but it's spelled with an S. Mount Safon is located in original Canaan, which is now southwest Syria, where they're killing each other and trying to blame it on Bashar Assad. And he is no different than all the rest of them because if he goes, his minority tribe of 13% of Syria will be decimated like he's decimating the majority tribe of 65% of the Sunnis or Shiites. I should get that straight. It's one of the two, the Sunnis and the Shiites, and even a greater controversy than Israel with some of these people is the battle that is rising up between the Sunnis and the Shiites, which have a controversy over who was Muhammad's rightful heir. I'm not terribly involved in that. But anyway, that's southwest Syria just north of the Lebanese border. Here's Israel down here, like this really. Here's Lebanon up here, it's even smaller than Israel. And then up here, Syria, southwest Syria. But guess what it is? It is the Safo, that's easy to change from a Z Z to an S, going from one dialect, one language to another. It is the center for Baal worship of the Canaanites in the day of the psalmist. They didn't know Russia. And they didn't know what, let's see, did they know, know about Nineveh? Yes, maybe it was after Nineveh and Babylon happened. But anyway, I, I don't think so. But regardless, Saphon is the worship center for Baal. North of, north of Israel. That makes some sense. Let's go back there. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised in the city of our God. The mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion, city of the great king. I would, this translator, and I know I would have the backing of the Bible, society would say it this way. Those guys from the north, or they often say the north and the south in a civil war. There's three civil wars going on between Islamic North and, and Christian South in, in Africa right now. And there was a civil war in this country. But I would say it this way. The North, those Baal worshipers of the North, if I use a, 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 a description, but the North is no comparison to the city of our, uh, the city of our God, the mountain of His holiness, the joy of the whole earth, the city of the great king. It's a comparison. Makes sense. So let's go that back to Jeremiah. But they will say, no longer will they say Egypt, but they will say, as surely as the Lord lived who brought the Israelites up out of, 
idolatry. It gets bigger than little Russia. It gets bigger than little Nineveh, Iraq. It gets bigger than Babylon, more of Iraq. It's idolatry. And it includes not only the Hebrews, but all of those of us who are gathered in the olive tree. And he, that's, maybe that's the closest to genetically modified prophecy. We're invited into the olive tree to be grafted into the olive tree. And the promise goes to Abraham's seed. And we become Abraham's seed by graft, being grafted into the olive tree. Sands of the seashore, stars of the sky. It's bigger throughout all the ages. Okay, that's one thing you'll find in there. But it, it's opening our eyes. To things that the translators in English did not have all the Hebrew they needed. Let's go to the next one. Exodus 13, 18. So God, I had a bit of this in the previous, my previous book, but this is more detailed. So God led the people around by the desert toward the road, desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. Exodus 13, 18. Okay. Armed for battle. Wait a minute. The sages say that is a ridiculous translation. That's the the Hebrew seers and scholars, the sages say that's not right. So what is it? Let's go to the next one. Very translation of the tra- text, which we might summarize as your guess is as good as mine, what that word means. The word... In King James Version, it, they say it went up harnessed for battle. New King James says they went up in orderly ranks. New living, they went up like an army ready for battle. But Young's translation from the Hebrew, that was back in, uh, in the uh, 18th, uh, 19th century. Robert Young had a translation. He said by 50s they went up. Where in the world did he get that? Guess where? From the Hebrew. Let's go on. The word rendered armed for battle is hamushim in Hebrew. Now, you'll just have to believe me on this next one, but hamushim is also related to hamesh shim. Hamesh is the word for five. One, two, three, four, five in Hebrew is hamesh. I am is the plural. Hamishim is a plural of five, which in Hebrew thinking is 50. Or, in some cases, one-fifth. So, what does hamushim mean without the relationship to hameshim? It includes what I just told you, but it also has ten meanings depending on the context. Most of the meanings refer to being equipped with something, with moral values, Equipped with virtue or armed with virtue, armed with honesty, uh, armed with, with uh, virtue, honesty, armed with um, some sort of, of goodness, equipped with that. Only one refers to martial military preparedness of equipped for battle. That's the one that the Greek or Roman translators chose as military preparedness. But the sages who know the Hebrew insights in it won't buy that. They say it's got to be 50 or one-fifth. 
and that is 20%. In short, that they are saying that only a portion, basically 20% according to that verse, went out of Egypt with Moshe, Moses. Well, that sounds like heresy to start with unless you start investigating it a little bit. One was the nature of the word. And it is true what I just told you about that word hamushim does refer to 50 and one-fifth along with its companion word hameshim. But also, what happened to the 80%? The rabbis say, or the sages say, they died in the three days of darkness. Wait a minute. Darkness never killed anybody. Strike one. (laughs) I was sharing this in Papua New Guinea. The last time I was up there was in February. And it was in the evening. It was dark outside. And I wasn't telling... I I didn't have this particular uh, portion that I was sharing with them. We hadn't even had the book at this time. But I was telling them that there were Hebraic tracts in their country. And... It was dark, and I said, darkness never killed anybody. And the lights went on. (laughs) Excellent backup system. I said, has anybody back there died yet? Nobody had, so I proved my point. Anyway, strike one on that one. It didn't get dark in Goshen where the Hebrews were at. Strike two. And strike three, over the last... 20 years, we have seen more and more evidence of the Hebraic cultureisms in Papua New Guinea. We'd been there over 20 years, and I didn't hear some of this stuff. But in the 90s, I, I, was, I had a group over in Jerusalem. After, after we went in 88, and they found out that Jerusalem and Hebron and... and, and uh, Nazareth and Bethlehem and Jericho were all on this planet. They thought they had to die and go to heaven to see these places. They found out it was here and now. They got excited and I took about 10 groups over there as a training program. So anyway, I had one afternoon, I, they were tra- touring hard and fast and they were tired and I let them have the afternoon off in the hotel and... I went over to see a friend of mine, a photographer friend with the Christian Embassy. And his name was Bud Burton. And he had a tiny little office, very small. Can't do, maybe about the size of the pipe organ back there. But on his back wall, he had all the photos that he'd ever taken that he didn't want to throw away. And on the back wall, yeah, all these pictures. Then right smack in the center were three dark-skinned girls. And I looked at those gals. I was the only guy that ever brought Papua New Guineans to, to Jerusalem. By that time, maybe some politicians went on their own, but these were girls. Civilians, I might say. I said, Bud, where did you get these Papua New Guinea girls? He said, no, 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 no. They're not Papua New Guineans. They're Ethiopian Jews. Whoa. That was too much for me. Now, I'd spent 20 years by that time or more with them, and I knew a lot of stuff about them, including they have about four legends that could have walked right out of Genesis. I won't get into those. 
But legends that really sounded like the Genesis account of Jacob and Esau and Adam and Eve and the flood. But uh, anyway, uh, I hadn't heard this. And uh, about the, the, um, the, the, the fact that uh, these girls might be from Ethiopia. So I ran over to the hotel. They were born there. I wasn't. And I, I found three guys sitting on their bed from the tribe next door to us. So 830 tribes in Papua New Guinea. Tribe next door to us, there they were, sitting on their beds talking. And I says, quick, come with me. Kind of like my book titles. I didn't tell them what's in it. I said, quick, come with me. I got something to show you. We ran over to, the, to where Bud's office was. And I pointed to the back wall. And I says, where are these girls from? They didn't say Papua New Guinea. They started calling districts in the southern highlands where Elsie and I had had spent already by that time 20 years or more. More, 30. And and these guys were from that tribe. Nevertheless, they're kind of out of the same cookie cutter as our tribe. But where are these girls from? And they called, she's from Pangaea. That's one of the districts. This little one, the little, the, the smallest one, she's from Mindy. Looks just like Timothy's daughter. Timothy was one of the pilgrims that year. This third one, uh, we don't know. She looks different. She must be from the coast. But they picked these girls as Papua New Guineans. True, true, true. I said, sorry guys, they're Ethiopian Jews. Three girls born from one father in Africa. They got to Jerusalem last year with their father. Oh, they were surprised too. Then he started, the oldest one of the bunch, wasn't all that old, he was 40-ish. He started telling me, our ancestor was Avram Pamu. Now, I didn't know what Pamu was then, I do now. Didn't know what Pamu was, but I knew what Avram was. You know what Avram is? Avram, Avram, B and V are interchangeable in Hebrew. Avram, Avram. And... That really, oh, and what did, what did he tell them? What, what was in their legend? Don't steal, don't kill, don't tell lies, don't take somebody else's wife. But they said the white man came and we forgot all of this. Well, they didn't forget it all. They didn't forget the Ten Commandments. But what they did forget was looking back where they came from, which many of us have do too. We might have a few more Jews coming out of this meeting than came in. I don't know. But anyway, or maybe after reading my book. But anyway, by the, it doesn't matter. We've always got the olive tree to move into. It doesn't matter. But the, what makes it bigger is the, the accuracy of the Almighty. The plans of the Almighty. This isn't our little thing. This is his big thing. Anyway, uh, I found this all over. Also, the names for God in the New Hebrides are the... Vanuatu, the name, for their original name for their god down in, in New Zealand, the Maoris, where the Maoris are. Very, very similar to Yahweh or Yehovah or something like that. You can read about it in the book. But I, that's enough. The fact that, that there is much more to the plan than we might have ever realized. Let's go on to the next one. Where are they now? I just told you about South Pacific, Africa. There is a Lemba tribe that just is making the news. 
I, I wrote about it. it, it there's a chapter of the Limbus. And after, uh, I've seen it twice from other sources since that book's published. Jonathan Burnus, some of you might have known of Jonathan Burnus, Rabbi Jonathan Burnus, he's a Messianic rabbi. He's got a radio program called Jewish Voice International. And I've been on it a couple times, and he is going to, to tape me on the 12th of September for one more time. And he's going to like this book because while I was writing this, I didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know what I was doing. And he has started a ministry, medical ministry, and a teaching ministry with the Lemba tribe, about 70,000 spread across Zimbabwe, all down into South Africa. The Lemba tribe, very, very Jewish in many things. And anybody can copy, put up little Jewish flags and things and play Israel and whatever. Anybody can, can get all excited and do that and say shalom. But they have found genetically with the Lembas, they are of the Aaronic priest line through their through their their uh, what's the word? <laughs> you weren't listening <laughs> through their DNA, but the. the um, yeah, through their DNA. There's another word for that, that is a giveaway for being Hebraic. What's the word, honey? It starts with a C. No, yeah, Abraham. No, the the um, the Kohanim. No, that starts with a, the Kohanim. That's the priesthood. Their Y chromosome only carried by the males. The female will carry the male Jewish babies, but the the males only carry the Y chromosome of Abraham and also uh, particularly this goes to the priesthood and the, the Lemba is full of this. They know for sure, sure, sure where they came from. Again, God has ways of adding in through modifying spiritually our relationship through the olive tree. But the fact is, this is a well laid out plan. And that's not just wild prophecy or something. Sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. How many of you know that the Almighty is a bit accurate in many things? In everything. Anyway, Africa, China. China was monotheistic probably from the time of... Monotheistic from the time of the Tower of Babel. And probably a good section from there went down. And they had one and one only God in their day. Today it's polytheistic. Many gods, false gods. They had a god named Shang-Di. D-D-I is the first two letters of Dios, deity, and so forth. Shang-Di refused to let the people in those days make an image or a copy of him. Sounds familiar? He also had the laws, which are probably the Noachide laws, about not stealing seven of the Ten Commandments. And they were polytheistic in the very early ancient China. There's Hebraic tracks there. You know, we're going to have a big revelation one of these days. After the West is done playing New World Order and things like that. Somebody else has a New World Order planned. This is what my book is all about. Uh, anyway, uh, Japan, I, I got a little thing in there. We got a couple of uh, folks, you probably know, the Shermans. 
Uh, wait, sure. Yeah. Wilf Sherman and his wife, Melanie. And they were short-term missionaries over in Japan. And they saw, they saw these guys running around with carrying a little doghouse on poles. And they saw that. What do you think it reminded them of? The Ark of the Covenant. And they said, we got to tell Vic about this. And no longer had they told me than six months, no, two or three months later, I met somebody from Japan who was writing her own book about what was called the Omakoshi Ark. Why in the world didn't the missionaries a hundred years ago see this relationship with Israel? You know, once in a while we can have a blind eye here or there and not see some things in front of our face. But you know why? This was spirit worship with a Shinto. Oh! Couldn't be from God. And also sometimes these guys carrying the little box were drunk. No way is this from God. Forgetting that it only took 40 days to go from two tablets of stone to the golden calf. So what's going to happen in 40 generations? And how many of you know that seeds can get very, very old? They found a seed not long ago in Israel and they planted it. I think it was a date seed. It grew. God's seeds have a way of coming back home. Coming back to life. This is big. We're part of this. Little part, big part. We can feel ourselves a major part. Of a restoration of the kingdom in our day. Let's go on. Oh, no, Brazil. I've got a couple more, two, two more things I don't want to touch quickly. Brazil, I have a chapter that America was discovered by Columbus Ben Who? And uh, we have some indi- in- indications that Columbus was d- Jewish. And a few people came over with him on the Pinta of the Nine and the Santa Maria. Came over with Columbus, and uh, then there was indication that Columbus himself might have been had some of these Hebraic tracks within him. And Queen Isabella of Spain, King Ferdinand of Portugal, had when they were driving the Jews out of Spain and Portugal, and the pain of death of the, by the Roman Church. Off of their heads if they didn't convert to, to Catholicism. So what else is new in Saudi Arabia? Not much changed, but anyway, that was those days. And there had four names for the Jews that were running away from the guillotines of Rome. One, Murano, that's a Spanish word for pigs. Two, Crypto, three converso, those are two, two words that mean they weren't real serious about their conversions and they want to get out of there as fast as they can and stay Jews. And then there was uh, Anosim, which just meant the rejectionists. But anyway, the floodgates were opened after Columbus and today Latin America, our daughter works down in Brazil. And it used to be a Catholic country. Today it is even more evangelistos, evangelicals, because it's slowly people are coming to life. But 
I predict this is going to mushroom in a tidal wave of responses to, the, and I'll get to it in a minute, the genetic call within them to come home. So, um, I knew this, that, but I didn't know how many. There are 100,000 registered Jews in Brazil. 40,000 registered Jews in, in um, Mexico. And I saw on the internet, I, I found his website, a fellow in, uh, he works with these people. He's from New Mexico. And I sent him a, an email and said, his name is Garcia. I says, how many cryptos do you reckon there are in Brazil and Mexico and Chile? I heard back from him faster than I hear from most pastors when I write to them. He got back right away. He said, we uh, believe there are 15 to 20 million cryptos in Brazil. What's going to happen when they find out their roots? There are five more million cryptos or conversos in Mexico. Chile, we don't know. It's harder to count them down there. But these people are coming to life and anybody with the name of Hernandez, Sanchez, Diaz, Gomez, uh, did I say uh, Hernandez, Fernandez, and all of these Z endings, they have backgrounds in Hebraic Europe driven out The seeds are still alive. And there are people that are down there working with them. And they will be messianic. Maybe Israel is a little bit worried about that, but they will turn out to be messianic when they come home. We'll get there in a minute. USA Bible Belt, I've talked to some of you about that. This is the cookie cutter that I come from and most of you. Men on one side, women on the other. No musical instruments. Jewish, Jewish. Um, the baby boys in, uh, across the Bible Belt. Circumcision was a given. They're fighting about it now. The courts are contesting it now. It was a given in my day. And in the day of most of us here. And what else? My mother would have a fit putting the Holy Scriptures on the floor. We sit in a place like this, and if we got enough room, we put them on the next chair to us, and sometimes they go on the floor. And I knew a rabbi, Orthodox rabbi, who liked Christians. He wasn't a believer yet, but he liked, liked Christians, and He said, I don't understand you Christians. You put your books on the floor. Your holy books. The holy book, not your books. My mother used to say this. She had a fit. And I talked to her about the Jews way, way back. And when I was a kid, that's a while ago. And she didn't tell me too much. I was interested then. And she called her father, that's my grandfather, she called him Pop. She says, Pop was always good with the Jews. He was Hungarian. He probably was one. And my Jewish friends say, over in Israel say, that's what you like us so much, you never knew too much about us. But uh, something is there. 
Christian Zionists in the Bible Belt who love Israel. And you were told in Sunday school, many of you I'm sure don't ever say anything bad about the Jews because they're God's people. We got that in our background, right John? (laughs) Something's back there. Why are so many... It's particularly the Bible Belt in America that's interested in blessing Israel today and are aghast at what's going on. And it's not that secular government in Israel. We're waiting for a better government to come. And, you know, I believe in my day. I'm trying to hang in there. That's why I keep working away. Hope I'm still here when Messiah comes. So that's some of them. Uh, Let's go on to the next one. We've got one more example, and then I'm going to wind this up. Jeremiah 31, 21, 22. The NIV set up road signs, put up guideposts, take note of the highway, the road that you take. Return, O virgin Israel, return to your towns. How long will you wonder, O unfaithful daughter? The Lord will create a new thing on the earth. A woman will surround a man. Now that also has got about 10 translations and 10, 10, uh, 10 versions. A woman will compass a man. A woman will encompass a man. A woman will chase a man. Now that sometimes happens. Anyway, your guess is as good as mine until I found it. I found it and I wrote to my publisher. He said, you've struck gold. And he started looking and he found two more translations to reinforce it. The next one, the Message Bible translation. Very, very free translation. Set up signpost, mark your trip home, get a good map, study the road. How long will you flit here and there, indecisive? How long before you make up your fickle mind? God will create a new thing in this land. A transformed woman. Ooh, that's the woman. A changed woman. A transformed woman will embrace the transforming God. And where I found it in the first place, next slide. New Living Translation. For the Lord will create. The white in those are just about the same always. Come back, come back. Come back home. Israel will embrace her God and the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures are full of prophecies of restored Israel in the end of days, restored Jerusalem. And we put that way out there. You know, it might be closer than we think because of all this stuff that the various interpreters and prophets, prophecies and, and uh, experts in America telling us what uh, is going to happen in the end of days. They've gone off on one track and one verse from Thessalonians, not including it with other verses around to give a fuller picture. They all point to restore Jerusalem in the end of days. And the thing that the experts, in quotes, don't have is what comes first. You can get a Bible verse to set up a situation, but what comes first and what comes... We know Armageddon is coming. We know the battle for Jerusalem is coming. It seems that there are two very different events. We don't have the order of these things. The millennium is coming. We don't have the order. Your guess is as good as mine. Israel will embrace her God. And don't give me just one text. The best one next is Hosea. Hosea was asked to marry a less, a less than principled wife. We don't know how this ended up and if she changed or what happened. But chapter 3 in Hosea is the prophecy. And his 
wayward wife was symbolic of Israel coming back to her husband, coming back to her God. Uh, I think it's also in uh, some of this in Ezekiel and some of this in um, Zechariah. Chapter 3 of Hosea, for the Israelites who live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God. And, they, and David their king, they will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessing. When? In the last days. As I see the world coming apart, and we see dire prophecies from us, not prophecies, but even predictions and analyses from Australia, that this country is in trouble. I live in Australia, but I got kids and grandkids and a one great-granddaughter over here. I'm concerned. But the fact is, I see the promises in the scriptures, in the Psalms. A thousand shall fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. And we should take heart with the promises of our God. This thing is big. And he is strong. And he's had a plan. It's not just Jews. It's his family. To be an extension of his created creation to walk with him through all eternity. It's good. It's wonderful. And we're part of it. In the last days. How many of you think we're in the last days? Can't get too much worse. Billy Graham said years ago, he said, if God doesn't punish America soon, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And now we're all the closest. That's about 30, 40 years ago. Let's go on. Deep space. We're going to finish on this one. I'm going to be done on time. Even though we started about five minutes late. Deep space communication. Genesis 1.1. Abba was talking to his people a long time. Where'd you go, Adam? In the beginning, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created. In the interim, Nasa copied. Now, I got no problem with Nasa copying what God did, but there is no thing under the sun new with Nasa. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth, male, female, animals, all these wonderful things. Chemistry, science, aeronautics, space travel, deep space communication. And NASA is not coming up with anything new in deep space communication. In the beginning, God created deep space communication requires a sender and a receiver. You guys are hearing me a little bit better because I've got an amplification in my voice. Technology. God has designed the whole thing in the beginning. Let's go. And humanism called it science. There's the, there's the microphone. There's the ear to hear. Who has ears to hear, let him hear. And here is the heart to comprehend. God speaks to us. And if we're God's children, we should be hearing from him and doing what he says. Again, I ask, how many of you know that obedience is pretty important? And we might need to hear the still small voice. That Isaiah heard in the mouth of the cave. Uh, they, they killed all the prophets. And they're all gone. And I'm the only one left. Get up. And do this. Do that. We've got work to do brothers and sisters. I don't know who. Uh, Huber. Uh, Melvin Huber. 
Here's his, his version of retirement. Dear brother's going on to be with the Lord Melvin Huber. He said, put on new tires and get going. We got work to do. We've got work to do. Humanism called it science. Next. Nevertheless, genetics, the, the genetics doesn't save anybody. But it's a God-designed carrier wave. You know what a carrier wave is from radio? It's nothing without a sound to travel on it. And God's carrier wave is genetics. He said, uh, he said to... Uh, he said to Adam, where'd you go, Adam? He spoke to Moses. He speaks to us. Are we listening? Are we anointed? Do we hear? An end time wake up call from his own, God designs carrier wave and end of time wake up call from his own outer space. This is nothing spooky. However, how many of you remember or no, or yeah, you've heard stories about the little doggy that gets separated from his family while they're on holidays about 3,000 miles away. And poor Fido gets left behind. Dad's got to go to work. The kid's got to go to school. Mom's got her responsibilities. And they have to leave him. And their hearts are broken. But months later, little Fido comes in. Dirty, disheveled, matted hair, skinny, hungry. And he's wagging his tail. Because he's come home. Abba's calling his family home. And I predict. I'm not a prophet. I'm an analyst. I predict. It's going to be in the third world. Where they're not looking for gimmicks of programs. And all that sort of stuff. They're looking for an Abba God. They're looking for a God. In the third world. And they're not messed up. With the thinking of us. Westerners all messed up with the thinking of Aristotle. If he is, if there's something out there, it's nothing that's going to help us. They try to run him out. And if you do get one of my books, be sure to read the dedication page, which is a little bit of an uplift of who the Father is. They tried to stamp him out, but they're not going to do it, and they won't do it in this time today in America. He's going to be around. And we're going to be with him. End of day's wake-up call from his own outer space. Next one. Abba's carrier wave is the Holy Spirit. He's got a message for us. And he gets through to his people. Whether we were born Jews or whether we're grafted into the olive tree. Carrier wave, the Holy Spirit. The last slide, please. I thought we had one more. Don't we have one more? The Bible verse. Uh, nevertheless, Peter writes, I don't have the scripture here. Nevertheless, we have a more sure word of prophecy. And he's still around. And he still knows where we are. We've got work to do. Uh, we lost it. It's not there. And so if... Sure, Peter said it. We have a more sure word of prophecy. And you find that and look it up. That's your homework. God bless you. Four o'clock exactly. I've been a good boy. (laughs) God bless you. The books are out there if you want them. But we won't feel bad if you don't.